Yeah, well, listen, it's great to be here. I'm sorry I kept you guys waiting a little bit. We got all turned around driving on these no U-turns on no lefts in Jersey there. So <laughs> coming from Long Island, we don't have that. So, but anyway, so we're here. I'm sorry that we were a few minutes running a few minutes late. So I think that, you know, uh, it's good to talk with a little bit of a testimony, right? To start off with a little testimony about coming to Christ and so forth. You know, I grew up in a very traditional background. I went to private school. You know, I was born in Brooklyn. We moved to Long Island. Went to private school. Um, went off to college. You know, I was in college during the, you know, the counterculture movement and all the stuff that was going on in the 1960s and so forth, you know. And, uh, you know, I think basically uh became somewhat agnostic by the time i was finished you know school uh you know and um you know got out of school got married uh had two children um my wife took off left and you know we went through a divorce and um you know i moved back to new york i was living in uh northern new mexico i went to the university of new mexico and i had lived there for about 10 years and i uh, had a business there and so forth but anyway my wife left and uh i ended up getting custody of my oldest son and um, in that in that in that situation, and so we moved back to New York, and I got reacquainted with my with uh, uh, my present wife, who I've been married to for forty five years, and um, you know we moved into a we got married uh, eventually, and moved into a uh, a community where we had a neighbor who came by and kept telling us about Jesus all the time, and I was like, you know, like, you know, okay, I mean that's good. I think I used to think that you know. People who were born again Christians were people who drove around, you know, burned out cars with bumper stickers all over them. And, and I said, well, it's great. You know, you found God. I'm glad for you. But, you know, it's really not for us, you know. So she kept coming consistently, you know. And uh, she, by the way, I had two children from my first marriage. She had two children as well. And um, and so we had a, you know, a blended family together. So uh, one day uh, she came and she kept at it. You know, she was like the hound of heaven, you know. She always came over and said, oh, I have this scripture I want to share with you. And then she couldn't remember what it was. And I was like, OK, you know, like, <laughs> she's nice, you know, like, you know. So um, but one day she said, could we take your children to Sunday school? So I said, yeah, OK, that sounds like a good idea. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, so came, picked up the kids. They went to an Assembly of God church. I didn't know anything about any of that at the time, but they came, picked up the kids at eight o'clock in the morning and they didn't get back till one. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, you know, <laughs> free babysitting. They came home with little pictures of Jesus. We put them on the fridge, you know, I'm reading the Times, you know, just sitting there, you know, having a little coffee with my wife. You know, it was great for three, for three hours, four hours, no kids, you know. So one, but one Sunday, the kids came home and they said, you know, Daddy, you know, we should pray before we eat. And I was sitting at the head of the table. My wife was sitting at the other hand of the table. And I have to tell you, I mean, I was 28 years old at the time. I never heard a prayer in my life that wasn't a rote prayer. And I expected them to pray, you know, bless us, O Lord, and these I guess which you're about to receive through thy bounty in Christ our Lord. Amen. But that's not what they did. They, they were four years old, by the way. They bowed their heads at the table. And they went, dear Lord Jesus, we just want to give you thanks today. And I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, I never heard that before, you know. They want to give you thanks. And they were praying, like, like conversationally, the two of them, as if they were you know, as if it was rehearsed. It was a clear move of the Holy Spirit. So they prayed like this, Lord, we thank you for everything. Thank you for the food that's on this table. And I can hear exactly, I can hear them praying still to this day. And we thank you for so many things, Lord, but the thing that we thank you the most for is that you made us a family. Guys, I'm gonna tell you, I didn't know the book of 
book of Genesis from the book of Revelation. I didn't know the word of God was sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide a sword between the bone and the marrow. But when I was sitting at that table that day, the sword of truth pierced the calcification of my heart. And when it, that sword went into me, it pierced me deeply. I felt like I was wounded by it. And then when it came out, I felt like it healed me. And my life was changed at that table. And uh, four months later, I, I, in my living room on, a Christ, on Christmas Eve, I got on my knees and asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And I didn't even know what that totally meant, really, honestly. Uh, actually, what happened after they prayed that prayer and how it impacted my life, I said, we should go to visit the church, you know, where these kids were, or our children were going. And we walked into the church and people coming up, hallelujah, brother, you know, thank God, good day to be saved. And, you know, and I was like, whoa, you know, like, all right, whatever, you know, like, yeah, hallelujah, you know, like, and then, you know, and then they did the, you know, they had this, in that particular Sunday, I guess they were doing an offering for, and they had asked people to go and make a, you know, a pledge and, you know, what they were going to give for the building of the church, but I didn't know any of that. So I'm watching this for the first time. And so the band kicks in and, you know, people are holding money up in the air. And the ushers started coming and collecting money. I was thinking, let's get out of here. This is crazy. I said, <laughs> I said, this is Elma Gantry or something. You know, I thought, what is this? You know, so I went down, hey, brother, hallelujah. Can I have my son? Yeah, okay, thank God, you know, whatever. You know, just trying to pick up on the lingo. But what happened was, you know, uh, you know, I started, I, I had, a, my business was operating and I had a guy also working for me now who was a Christian and we were driving and every, every day he was telling me about, things about Christ, and, and it started to really penetrate what had happened at that table. So that Christmas Eve, I got on my knees, and I asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. My wife was at another place on the same night with her mother, and she also asked Christ to come into her life and be the Lord of her life. She surrendered her life. We both got saved on the same night, you know, in, a, in two different places. And that was the beginning of our journey of faith. And, um, you know, uh, as a result of that, uh, I was trained in a local church, and I've been, you know, started to, you know, uh, preach the word of God, and you know, and to share, you know, everywhere I went, I was sharing about Christ, and people were coming and becoming part of the church, you know. And I had this call in my life to the time I was actually a child. When I was a young child, I had wanted to be a priest, and you know, I was raised in a Catholic tradition, and I wanted to be a priest. And um, you know, the, I even wanted to go to a junior novitiate, and I had the uh, you know, the priest come to our home to interview me for the, you know, for the vocation. And when he came there, you know, that was a big thing in 19, you know, 64 or whatever it was, you know, to have a priest come to your house. My parents cleaned that house like it was like, forget it, you know. So anyway, when the priest came to the house, we did the interview and I took the father's coat and hat and I put it up in the upper part of our home there and uh, my parents' home. And uh, when the interview was over, he said, um, my dad said, listen, go get the father's hat and coat. He's got to go. So I went up, and while we were having the interview, my dog ate the father's fedora. You know, the, the silk inside, you know, and the saliva was in there, and the little feather was all ruined, and and I had this, like, I didn't know what to do. We had a woods behind our house, and we just wanted to run into the woods, you know, but so I came out with this sacrificial offering of this hat to, to give to the priest, and I thought he would say, that's okay, son, it's just a hat, don't worry. That's not what he did. He got very mad, and he left it, <laughs> and I never became a Catholic priest, but anyway... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know i was called as a young boy actually i used to i used to two things i loved when i was a child i loved geography i don't know how you guys can really remember the old maps you pulled down the map i was fascinated by maps you know as a child and i like to read about missionaries 
as a young boy, which was unusual at the time, you know. As a matter of fact, when I was young and I would go to a, my, our dentist, you know, he used to like pinch you on the ear, you know, and getting you ready for the pain. No, and um, he, he would say, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, most kids at my age at that time would have said, you know, firemen or policemen or whatever. Or, you know, he's, and I used to say, I want to be a missionary. And he'd say, missionary, you know, kids don't say that, you know, but I did, you know, that's what I, and I had this desire to be in, to serve the Lord, even as a young child, but through the education system and all the other things, I just wandered away, like probably some of you here as well, you know. Um, so I got trained, local church went out and was sent out to plant a church. So we planted a church in our hometown. Church grew to about 200 people. I turned it over to a young couple. Did a lot of, as, because a lot of the work I was doing in the nations was increasing. We're doing leadership development. I traveled to 30 nations. I preached the gospel on five continents. And uh, all from these very meager beginnings. I mean, I always say, if, if God can use me, he can use anybody, you know? So he took me out of that place where I came from and brought me into this wonderful relationship with the Lord, you know? And um, but at the, at the whole time, can I have a little water? We got lost, I was nervous, and then we had walked right in and I started talking. So if I could have a glass of water, that'd be great. So um, I always had a business, you know, another part of the little testimony, I got out of college, I was an art history major, great. I'm painting, you know, and you know, and I got out of school and somebody said, well, how did you get into the building business? And I built houses that I just, I built a house uh, that just sold, um, uh, about 15, uh, just, I built 15 years ago, just sold last year for $118 million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The money didn't come to me. It was, the, it was to the owner, but anyway, yeah, $118 million for a single family home in, in the Hamptons. And, um, so, you know, people say, oh, you must've come from this incredible building background. No, that's not true. I got out of school. I didn't know how to, you know, had an art history education. I was a painter, but like it didn't put any food on the table. So my motivation for getting involved in building was I was hungry. And I ran a, an ad in the San Francisco Examiner and said, handyman, we'll tackle anything. And people started calling me. And my first, one of my first things that uh, I got an opportunity to do, a person came and said, can you build a room in the back of my house? I said, absolutely. I never built anything in my life, you know. I'm serious. I went in, I took a sledgehammer. I knew how to do that. Took the wall down. I hung a blue tarp. I think it was blue at the time. Anyway, I hung a tarp down there. And that night I went to the library and got a book on how to build a room. I'm serious. <laughs> and I even took the book out of the library because I couldn't remember all the things that were there. So I had to keep going back to the car to look at it and see what it said, you know. And from those very meager beginnings, um, I have a, a building business that I've had my whole uh, life, you know, or adult life. Uh, it's a, you know, it, we built some magnificent houses in the Hamptons, you know, and, uh, our team and, you know, our, I work with my brother actually as well, building these houses, but at the same time doing the ministry work that God had called me. Honestly, I don't, I never saw myself as bivocational. I really just believe I'm just, I'm just a kingdom man with a kingdom vision and a kingdom provision from God. So I didn't feel like I had, you know, I wasn't Pastor Joe preaching and teaching and, you know, discipling people on the weekends. And then I was, you know, Joe the Builder, Monday through Friday. I was just one man, one heart, one vision, and one opportunity that God had given me. And use the ministry, I mean, use, excuse me, use the building part to help fund all the things that we were doing in the ministry, you know. And, uh, and it's been a, a, a tremendous thing. I don't think it's a call of every single pastor that, you know, they have to be, in, you know, an entrepreneur or be in business, but it was mine. 
And I was under a lot of pressure, honestly, during those days from people, associates and so forth. People would say, when are you going to have the faith to go full time? I said, well, actually, I have the faith to go double time because I don't see myself in that light. I understood the question, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lack of faith on my part. It was really, I don't think you should do something that, that other people think of you, that you should do unless you hear that from God. And I didn't hear that from God. So I just had to stand and continue to do what I was doing. And those resources, oh, by the way, we went on to have two other children. We have, my wife and I have six kids. Yeah, we have six children. Our youngest is now just turned 38. This is one of my sons right here. He's 43. Amen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so we had six children and we were pastoring a starting church, you know, 50 members, you know. Uh, I, it was really impossible for me to think that the church was going to be able to support me full time in the ministry with six children, you know. So I just felt like this was this, this God gave me the grace because people ask me, how are you doing like international travel? running a business, pastoring a church. I said, look, it's by grace. Each one of us is given a portion of grace, right? That's what it says in, you know, in the word. And it's given to us by Christ, you know, some to be apostles, pastors, teachers, you know, the fivefold people, but each one is given a measure of grace. And I believe that's a capacity to do something that God has called you to do. So that's what God gave me. And to tell you the truth, I'm still working, still building. And uh, I just walked away from a six and a half million dollar job, actually, because the Holy Spirit, even though I had a signed contract, or was ready to sign a contract to do it. When I prayed about it, I was getting signs like, eh, eh, eh. You, I don't know if you ever, guys have ever gotten those signs, you know. You know, the expression, if it doesn't start right, it's not going to end right. And I just got this real sense that this was not what God had for me. And I just said, you know what? It's been nice knowing you and I wish you the best. And, you know, there's plenty of good builders out here. I'm not the guy for this job. And I walked away from it, you know, because I didn't believe it was really what God wanted me to do, especially at this age, you know. I'm going to be 50 years old soon. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> so I think that, I don't know, how are we doing on time? I think that um, out of this testimony, you know, uh, comes this sort of like definition, I think, about what it means, I think, for us to be like kingdom-driven sort of in our entrepreneurship. I mean, I guess most guys are here are business leaders and you know, so, and I think that that looks different than maybe just being what, you know, um, what it means to just be a believer and owning a business. I think when we have a understanding of our entrepreneurship related to our calling in, in terms of the, of the kingdom, I think it points us in a different direction. And, you know, I think when we talk about kingdom, I think it's, it's God's rule and his reign, you know, uh, and it, it sort of takes precedent over everything that we do. And we know that there are pressures in business that we face all the time related to expectations, people, honesty, integrity. You know, when we, you know, when I hire people, I hire a lot of people, you know, when people come to me and the first thing they tell me is that they're a Christian, I kind of go, mm, you know, start looking over my shoulder a little bit because I think that in the business community, I think if you're a Christian, it, that should become obvious at some point, right? You know, when a guy tells you the first thing that he's, you know, he's a guy telling me, hey, brother, you know, it's like, okay, brother. Um, but, you know, like, you got to be on time, right? And, you know, and you got to, <laughs> and you got to, and you got to not, you know, take a couple pieces of material back to your own home, right? I mean, you know, you got to do the right thing, right? You know, so, you know, many times when I'm building houses and I built these multi million dollar houses, I don't leave with, I'm a pastor. 
But I have to tell you, nine times out of 10, people start talking to me and confiding in me. And then they say to me, what else do you do besides build? So the light is shining, you know, and, um, and then when I tell people I'm a pastor in the local community, they like, they can't put the two things together. Like you're a builder and you're a pastor. I mean, builders don't always have the best reputation, as you know, you know, so um, when you say that you're a pastor, uh, it opens up doors. And I've had many people have come to Christ that I've built houses for in, in relationship. One little story, I built a house. We used to do a uh, retreats and so forth in an area where I live on the water. We used to do water baptisms there and do marriage seminars in this beautiful house on the water in, in, uh, in Noyak, where we live. <laughs> Years later, the, the property was sold, and I got hired to do a renovation on the main house. And there was a Jewish woman who owned the, the house, and, and, it's, and it, on the, on the uh, doorway, when you came in, there's a cornerstone that was uh, Romans 8, uh, you, know, uh, Rom you know, Romans about, you know, I could do all things with Christ who strengthens me. So she, she asked me about that. She said, you know what that means? And I told her what it meant. And eventually she got to know that I was a pastor. So I build the house. She moves in. The only room that stayed was this main room. It was a beautiful room with a vaulted ceiling, a gigantic fireplace and all. Other than that, I built, rebuilt the entire house. She's living in the house about two weeks. She calls me on the telephone. And she says, Joe, you're a pastor, right? I said, yes. She said, do you do exorcisms? I said, well, kind of full service, you know, I mean, <laughs> we do weddings, we do funerals, we do exorcisms, we'll build your house, we'll marry your kids, you know, no. And uh, she asked me that question. I said, well, yeah, I said, yeah, I said, not like, you know, Friday the 13th, the movie. I said, but we do pray. We do believe there are demonic forces that exist and we do pray. She said, well, my dog will not go into that room. He stands outside and growls. Do you think there was some kind of thing left over from some troubled marriage or something that's lingering in that room? I said, no, no, I don't think that. But she said, well, could you come over and pray for my, for my dog? So, of course, you know, I'm not really that interested in praying over dogs, but I saw it as an opportunity, right? You know, so I went to the house and I prayed over the dog, you know, prayed over the room, prayed the blood of Christ over the house and just that God would bless this home and let it be a place of his peace to continue to rest upon. She thanked me, gave me a hug. I left, came home the next morning, the phone rings. Joe? Yes, this is Madeline. I, oh, hey, Madeline, what's going on? It really worked. I said, what worked? I mean, like, I, I already forgot that I was there doing that. You know, I said, you know, she said, when you left last night, after you prayed, the dog, my dog went into the room and got up on the couch and slept like, like, like there was nothing ever wrong. And he's been going, and you know, and she said, I don't understand what happened. I said, well, that's the power of God. And she said, well, I don't know what it is, but you know, thank you for doing it. And that dog is still sleeping in that room. <laughs> Amen. So it's, you know, it just opens up different opportunities when we're letting our light shine in the midst of our, our calling and our, and our work, you know, and I think that, you know, we have to be propelled and our motivation is, is, is driven by the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and we need to be men that, you know, as business owners, that we have a responsibility to see our business as a mission and, and you know, and to define that of our calling in that regard. You know, I think that, um, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, speaks about him being a master builder. You know, 
the, the foundation for much of what we do, we have a ministry called Building for Him. And the idea is that, you know, it's not that we're just building for him, but, you know, Abraham was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God, right? And, you know, and he said that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of that building. And it's a place of his habitation. So building for him is that we are not only building for him, but that we become a building for him. And that's our vision to the nations, you know. That's opened up doors. We just finished building a... Um, a magnificent church in, uh, in, in outside of Lahore, Pakistan. We built a hospital in India, um, all privately funded, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, a 52-bed hospital that we're opening up in January in, uh, in Andhra Pradesh, India. We have work in, now in, uh, in uh, Nepal and Bangladesh, uh, you know, India, Pakistan, Venezuela. Uh, th three years ago, Right before COVID, I got a vision about starting a business in Venezuela. <laughs> just what you, that look that you just did, it was like, a bit, I mean, I share it with a couple of people, a business in Venezuela. You know what's going on in Venezuela? I said, yeah, I know what's going on in Venezuela, but the Lord put this on my heart to start a bakery there called Pan de Vida, Bread of Life. And we raised the capital. I shared the vision. <clears throat> I was waiting, actually, for to bring the, my friend up from Venezuela, but... I shared the vision with one or two people. The first person I shared it with, he said, "This, you know what? This sounds crazy, but this is God." He said, "Hold on a second. He went out and gave me a check for fifteen thousand dollars. I told somebody else he gave me a check for nine thousand dollars. Then I made, you know, I came to the church, introduced my friend from Venezuela. I spoke about the vision. And on that Sunday, we had this was during COVID, right? You know, we had I think twenty people in the church, and we raised forty-five thousand dollars. So it was just like when God." put something out there, he provides for the, the, the means to have it happen. We opened the bakery. We also opened up water purification plants there called Agua de Vida. And we're branding a type of coffee right now called Cafe de Esperanza, which is the you know, co coffee of hope. You know? And uh, so uh, those, that's employing, you know, like probably between the two businesses, probably over 40 people in a, pl in a place that's been ravished by the effects of socialism and so forth. You know, so our work in the world, we just started a building for him ministry work in, in uh, Ecuador as well, where we're feeding people. We're feeding 500 people a week on the streets of, of Quince in, in Ecuador. So there's so many things that, you know, I'm not here to brag about what we've done. I'm just planting that seed about the idea that our, you know, that our business is not just a job. It's not just a place to accumulate worldly wealth, but it's a mission to reach and impact this world for Jesus Christ. And I think it's the challenge for us as business leaders to really, to really, I mean, one of the things that I'm gonna do it here, ask these three questions. This is one of the questions is, do you see your business as a job or as a mission? And I think for, if you're really looking at this as, as real Christian leaders, entrepreneurs, I think that's a question we need to really reconsider or, you know, or think about is our job and our work is it a job or is it a mission? And I believe as that God is looking for Christian business people to be understanding the purpose of mission. We have a mission. It's not to accumulate all the goods of this world. Not that there's anything wrong with anything, having nice things, but that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and to penetrate every strata of our culture, education, entrepreneurship, and, and, you know, and evangelism. And I think when we use the tools that God has placed in our hands and the gifts that God has, and we join together in teamwork, we can accomplish amazing things around this world. And by the way, this world is in great need. We all know that, right? I mean, it's, 
you know, I was thinking, you know, the first time I went to Yankee Stadium, I was eight years old, 1958. Mm -hmm. Mickey Mantle, you know, hit a towering home run in the upper deck of right field, Yankee Stadium. They were down like two runs and the Mick came up and hit this like towering. And I was, and by the way, when I went in, when I saw Yankee Stadium when I was eight years old, I thought I was on a hollow ground. I mean, I went in like, and then here, you know, Whitey Ford was pitching, Yogi Berra was catching, Mantle was playing center field. You know, I was like, you know, those days in some ways seem like a, like a dream that's like a long time ago. Our world is a completely different place. You know, there's a completely different new set of challenges. You know, I believe more than ever, we need to be letting our light shine. Um, you know, people say, what is your end time sort of eschatology? As a pastor and as a leader, my end time eschatology is to occupy until he returns. Get out and do the work of the ministry. You know, the, you know, the Greek word for work, anybody know what it is? Work. <laughs> it's the work of the ministry. And we're called to do that work, amen? And we're called to be those leaders and we're called to disciple men also who are coming behind us, whether it's in business, in the local church, what have you. It's not that we don't, you know, we have to take down the wall again between sacred and secular. You know, when I'm in my work, I'm not like, I'm not, that's not my secular employment. I'm a kingdom person. We're kingdom people. You know, God's called us, right? So, you know, I think when we take that sort of wall down between sacred and secular, all, everything belongs to God. The earth belongs to the Lord and all it contains and all that dwell therein. And I think we need to look at, how are we doing in time? Two minutes. I think we need to look at our, our work and our life in a more holistic manner in order to transition from our seeing ourselves just as a, a business as a job as opposed to our business as a mission, as leaders. So I'm going to give you the three questions because I think we're going to break out into a small groups at this point. You know, I'm saying a lot in a short amount of time. I'm a little out of breath because I ran in here kind of just from being late. I was feeling bad about that. So here's the three questions I, I want to talk about. Do you see your business as a job or as a mission? That we've already said that. Number two, how has being a Christian impacted your business? How is your responsibility as a Christian impacting your business? Do we go in like, like? You know, people say to me, well, you know, you hire a lot of people from the church even to work with you. And people say, you think that's wise? Well, if, if it doesn't work there, where does it work? <laughs> if you can't work with somebody that's a believer, because you feel there's a conflict of interest there, or people think that I, I'm using the church as a means to, you know, establish my business, that's a wrong mindset. You know, we need to understand that being a Christian should be impacting our business, amen, and impacting the lives of others. And then number three, yeah, so number two is how, how has being a Christian impacted your business? And number three is how do you define significance and success? Because I think there's this great need, especially among entrepreneurs, they're, they're, there's a sense of significance in what they do. But what, what defines significance and what defines success? You know, um, it's interesting because, you know, I just started this thing called Love is Truth. I got this thing from the Lord one day. I was praying at home. God dropped this in my spirit, these three words, love is truth. And I, I, I said, you know, so I went right on GoDaddy to see if it was, um, you know, somebody had the domain. And it was, believe it or not, nobody did. So I grabbed the domain, and now we've started this whole ministry called Love is Truth all over the world. And, you know, uh, love 
never fails. Amen? So I think love is the basis of understanding success in terms of our Christian worldview. Love never fails. So how do we define significance and success? So I know this has been a brief time. Um, I've shared a little bit about our life and our vision and our, our ministry and my family. That's who I am. That's what God's doing. And uh, his word is going forth in tremendous ways. We're seeing a great revival, by the way, in Pakistan. Thousands of people are coming to Christ every single day. I'm traveling there, keeping in prayer in October. I have an opportunity to meet with an Iman there who's I've had some conversations with on the telephone, wants to work with me in helping to build bridges of peace and reconciliation between the Christian minority and the Muslim majority in Pakistan. That's a big thing. From that has opened up the door. I'm going to meet the Prime Minister of Pakistan uh, in October. That's what I said. Like, I'm like, you talking to me? <laughs> I mean, like, like, who am I? But God goes before us, amen? He makes the way and He opens up the doors. So, just, you know. Thanks. Yeah.